بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله we continue again with our book فتح الجلال والإكرام meaning the, comp- the, co- the commentary on Buluhul Maram by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin rahimahullahu ta'ala. And last week, we started the, the bab, Salatul Tatawu', the chapter of the supererogatory salahs, or the voluntary prayers, or the sunnah prayers. Um, the last hadith we discussed was from Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, Umm Habibah, radiyallahu anha, where she mentioned the 12 raka'at to be prayed during the day, known as the rawatib. The 12 raka'at that are connected to the, far, the fard prayers, the 12 raka'at, whoever prays it, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, whoever prays it in one day and night, a house in Jannah will be built for him. That's the last hadith that we discussed. The next ahadith, um, the author grouped together about four or five ahadith, the, the next hadith is Walil Khamsati, meaning narrated by the five Imams of Hadith, also from Um Habiba, that she narrated that the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man hafadha ala arba'in qabla al-dhuhri wa arba'in ba'daha, harramahu Allahu ala al-nar. Harramahu Allah ala al-nar. This hadith says, Whomsoever preserves four raka'at before dhuhr and four raka'at after dhuhr then Allah will make the fire prohibited for him. Allah will forbid the fire for him. However, this hadith has weakness in it. This hadith has weakness in it. The second hadith reads from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Rahimallahum ri'in salla arba'an qabla al-asri. Allah has mercy upon a person who prays four raka'at before asr. Allah has mercy upon a person who prays four raka'at before Asr. This hadith is in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and also by Abu Dawood al-Tirmidhi who said it's Hassan, Ibn Khuzaymah who said it's Sahih. The hadith is also authentic by Sheikh Al-Albani rahimahullah although other ulama classed it as weak. The third hadith is from Abdullah ibn Mughaffal al-Muzani رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال صلوا قبل المغرب صلوا قبل المغرب ثم قال في الثالثة لمن شاء كراهية أن يتخذها الناس سنة رواه البخاري This hadith says صلوا قبل المغرب صلوا قبل المغرب pray before maghrib pray before maghrib and the third time he said Liman Shah, for whomsoever wants to pray. So twice he said, pray before Maghrib, pray before Maghrib. And the third time he said, for whomsoever desires, whomsoever wants to do that. And this was said out of fear that people will take it as a sunnah. Right? That they will take it as a sunnah. Meaning a sunnah mu'akkada or a sunnah that is part of the rawatib. The narration in Ibn Hibban said, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam salla qabla al-Maghrib rak'atayn. This hadith says, that the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed before Maghrib two raka'at. He prayed two raka'at before Maghrib, and this hadith is authentic. And then the third hadith on this, 
issue of Maghrib is from Muslim An Anasin radiallahu anhu who said Kunna nusalli raka'atayni ba'da ghurubi shamsi Fakana sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yarana Falam ya'murna walam yanhana Anasi says we used to pray two raka'at after the sun has set Yani before Maghrib And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he saw us But he did not instruct us to do anything Nor did he forbid us to do anything those are the ahadith that the author brings. Now we will explain them and go into some uh, explanation on those ahadith. So these ahadith, why did the author group them together? He groups them together because these ahadith speaks about the sunan, right? Various sunnah salahs that are not part of the rawatib. They mention certain sunnahs that are attached to the fard salah as well, but they are not considered rawatib. So again, firstly, before we move on, what are the rawatib? The rawatib are the 12 sunnah prayers that are connected to the fard salahs. That if a person prays them during the day, Allah, Allah builds for him a house in Jannah. But what are these 12 raka'at? What are these 12 raka'at of the sunnah? The first is two before fajr. Two before fajr. Then four before dhuhr. And then two after Dhuhr. Then two after Maghrib. And two after Isha. That is the Rawatib. Now that is the highest level. Excluding Witr of course. Those are the most important Sunnah Salahs to pray. The Rawatib. These Ahadith that we are speaking about now. They mention other Sunnahs. That the Prophet spoke about. Or that he did himself. But they are not considered the. Rawatib, meaning they are also sunnah, but they are slightly of a lesser degree than the rawatib. And this is why Ibn Hajar or Ibn Uthaymin in his commentary, he groups them together under one explanation. Tayyib, the only part of the rawatib that's mentioned in this hadith is from the first hadith which says, Man hafadha ala arba'in qabla al-dhuhr. Whomsoever preserves and looks after four before al-dhuhr. Now we know that is from the rawatib based on other ahadith and other narrations that we discussed last week already. Walhamdulillah. Um, but the rest of the the rest of the sunnahs that are mentioned in these ahadith they are separate to the rawatib. They are separate to the rawatib. So looking at the first hadith, it says, "Whomsoever preserves four before dhuhr and four after dhuhr, Allah makes the fire forbidden for him." Allah makes the fire forbidden for him. What does this mean? This means that if we say the hadith is authentic, as we said, there is some da'af in the hadith. Some of the scholars have classed it as weak, others have authenticated it. If we say that the hadith is authentic, then this means, that this means that this is one of the reasons that can cause a person to be saved from the fire. This is one of the reasons that can cause a person to be Protected and, and saved from the, from the fire of Jahannam. To uphold these sunnah salahs. But does this mean that, it's, that if a person upholds them, that he is guaranteed Jannah? That he is guaranteed that he will never enter the fire? Is this what we say? The reality is no. This is not the case. Right? Because we know in, in the Sharia, there are asbab and there are also mawani'. There are also mawani'. So we have asbab, which means those things which 
You know, it's a cause, it's a reason, it brings about certain things. If you, whoever says, so and so will get Jannah. Whoever uh, memorizes 99 names of Allah will get Jannah. For example, many, many a'mal that we have, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa taught us, whoever does so and so, he will get paradise. He will be saved from the fire. But there are also mawani'. There are also inhibitors that can prevent this from happening. There are certain things that can cause a person to, that can block this off. And this is something to keep in mind. So it doesn't mean that just because we fulfill this sunnah and that sunnah, we are guaranteed paradise. Rather, this means that by fulfilling these type of sunnahs and others, it increases your chances. And it's more of a cause and a reason for you to enter Jannah. But we also have to avoid the mawani'. Keep away from the things that could prevent you. Like a major sin. Or like a shirk billah. A person who commits shirk, and but he fulfills these sunnahs. So what do we say about him? How do we now, uh, you know, recon, reconcile between the evidences? The one evidence is, he prays these four and before and after door, so he's saved from the fire. But other evidences in the Quran say, the one who commits shirk, the jannah is haram for him. So here we've got the fire is haram for him, and there we've got paradise is haram for him. How do we reconcile? The reconciliation is simple. We say that will inhibit and prevent this from taking place. You understand? So yes, we have various ahadith that teach us so many deeds that bring about forgiveness, that bring about paradise, but we also, and even protection, even protection. We have adhkar that tells us, whoever says this, he will be protected until the morning. Whoever says this in the morning, is protected until the evening. So we uphold them, we implement them, we recite them daily. But we also need to be careful that there are things that we may do that can prevent that from happening. Like major sins. Like major sins. It can therefore break that protection that would have been granted to you. Or that forgiveness. Or that paradise and so forth. So we have to understand all of the ahadith that speak like this. That mention these type of rewards. Whoever says this will get jannah. Whoever says this will be saved from the fire. That's on condition. Those are all what? On condition that there is nothing that will prevent it from happening. That you may have done of a major sin and something um, so forth. Tayyib. Um, so that's the first hadith which says, four before Dhuhr and four before after Asr. Sorry, four before Dhuhr and four after Dhuhr. The person will be saved from the fire. And we did say that the, the hadith is differed over in terms of its authenticity. The second hadith said that may Allah, Allah has mercy on a person who prays four before Asr. Allah has special mercy upon a person who, who, who prays four raka'at of sunnah before Salatul Asr. Right? So before Asr, is there any rawatib to be prayed? There's no rawatib to be prayed before Asr. However, this hadith tells us that there are sunnahs to be prayed. There is a sunnah. And this hadith teaches us you can actually pray four raka'at. When we say four raka'at, what do we mean? Four in one go or two by two? We mean two by two. That's the asal. So we stick to that. Right? But to even praise the two, the hadith says Allah has a special mercy upon, upon him. Okay? Again, this hadith is also different over. Right? Allahu A'lam, Shaykh Al-Bani, Rahimahullah, says authentic, and Nawi, and many others. 
The third hadith said that Sallu qabla al-maghribi Sallu qabla al-maghribi Pray before maghrib Pray before maghrib And the third time This was said twice On the third thing What was the third thing that the messenger said? Liman sha' Whomsoever wants to Why did he say this? To clarify that it's not a A fard Because when he says Sallu qabla al-maghribi That's a command That's an instruction and usually if something is commanded, it means it's obligatory. But here he says, Liman to make it very clear that whoever wants to pray, he should pray. But if you skip that prayer, there's no sin upon you. Clarifying that it is a, it's a sunnah and it's not a fard. Okay? On this issue, we have three ahadith that we mentioned. Three narrations. This is the first narration. Pray before Maghrib, pray before Maghrib. This is what we call Sunnah Qawliyah. Sunnah Qawliyah. There are three types of Sunnahs. There are three types of Sunnahs. Number one is a Sunnah that's Qawliyah, meaning it's something that came verbally from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Something that came verbally from the Prophet Sallallahu So he says, pray before Maghrib, pray before Maghrib. That's Qawl. It's from his speech. It's something that he verbally instructed. If we look at the second hadith, it says that the Prophet وسلم, he prayed the two raka'at before Maghrib. This is what we call sunnah fi'liyah. Sunnah fi'liyah. It's a sunnah that comes from the actions of the messenger. So in this hadith, it says that this is what he did. So we learn it's a sunnah from his action. The first one was from his speech, his instruction. This is from his action. That's the second type of sunnah. That's the second type of sunnah that we have. What's the third type of sunnah? What's the third type of sunnah? How else can you know that something is sunnah? For either the Prophet either he instructed it, or he encouraged us and he said you should do so and so, or he did it himself. And the Sahaba narrate that this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. So we learn it from his actions. What's the third type of sunnah? How else can you learn and, and find out that something is a sunnah? It's not from his speech, not from his action, it's from his? But you see, hadith, when you say hadith, these are all hadith. So some of the hadith is qawliya, it's speech, it's from the speech of the Prophet. Some of the hadith is from the, it describes the actions, it all comes from the Sahaba. They are narrating all of the hadith, but in the narration they are very specific. They will say, the messenger of Allah said, pray before Maghrib. In this instance they are saying, he prayed before Maghrib. They are describing the situation to us. Slightly different. <coughs> What's the third type of sunnah? So it's either from his speech that we can learn the sunnah, or it's from his actions, or it's from his. The, the easiest example to remember is about Khalid ibn Walid. It's a, a narration of Khalid ibn al-Walid, the famous companion, the warrior. What happened? The narration says Khalid ibn al-Walid was having some dab, which is like a lizard. That he was eating. And this was offered to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, no thank you. Why? Because he 
was in his preference. But what is the ruling on eating dab? You can eat it. Based on what? Nabi didn't say to him that he must eat it. Ahsant. The Prophet didn't tell Khalid, you're not allowed to eat dab. He allowed it. Even though he never had. Even though it wasn't his preference, so he wasn't interested. But the fact that he allowed it means it's permissible. Because nothing would have happened that was haram in, in front of the messenger except that he would have said, this is haram, you would have clarified. So therefore, it's also from his tacit approvals. If anything was tacitly approved of by the messenger, that means it's permissible. This is a sunnah that is tacitly approved of, hence it's permissible. Understand? So it's either from his speech or from his action or from his tacit approvals. If you look at the hadith that mentions the two before Maghrib, the first hadith was from his speech. The second hadith was from his actions. And the third hadith is from Anas where he says, we used to pray two before Maghrib. And the messenger saw us and he never instructed us to do anything, nor did he forbid us from this. What is this? Tacit approval. He saw them doing it, but he left them. He left it. He didn't say don't, he didn't say do. This is what Anna says. So this sunnah, the two before Maghrib, is a proven sunnah. It's established sunnah by all three ways. Qawliya, fi'liya, and bil-iqrar. Iqrar means by his tacit approvals. Understand? Uh, so that's a side benefit there in terms of hadith and sunnah. That some sunnahs get, we get from the speech of the Prophet some from his, his action, and some from... His tacit approvals, right? So this sunnah is from all three of them. But he said, pray it, pray it for those who want to. Ka- why? Why did he say this? To make it clear that firstly it's not a fard. And secondly that also the hadith says, karahiyatan an nas sunnatan. Out of fear that people might take it as a sunnah. What does he mean by this? That people might take it as a, a sunnah. So he says, for whomsoever wants to. He means by this, so that you don't regard it as an aratibah. A lot of emphasis is given to this two before Maghrib, as we can see. But the fact here, the hadith says, he said, you pray it, pray it, for whomsoever wants to pray it. Out of fear that people might take it as a sunnah, meaning a sunnah ratibah. Making it clear that the two before Maghrib is not from the Rawatib. That's what this wording is telling us. That the two before Maghrib is not part of the Rawatib. But it's also important. But slightly of a lesser degree than the two after Maghrib, which is part of the of the Rawatib. Understand? Tayyib. Um And I think this is a sunnah that is in many ways mahjura. It's a sunnah that we say is mahjura, meaning it has been, it's been deserted and lost. Most people don't pray before Maghrib. Most people, whether they pray at home or in the masajid, majority of people, they don't pray the two before Maghrib. Even though, as we can see, a lot of importance was given to it by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and the sahaba, that they used to pray this too. So this is a sunnah that's mahjura. There are many sunnahs that are mahjura. It has been deserted and lost amongst the Muslims. 
And this is one of them, I would say, that most people have, they don't even know it's a sunnah to pray before Maghrib. <coughs> However, it's a specific sunnah to pray um, before Maghrib, Salah. Correct. So the masajid locally, they give you no time before Maghrib. They make the adhan and immediately they make the iqama. No time is given for two before Maghrib. Except very few masajid. Very few masajid will give you four to five minutes, ten minutes to get that two raka'at in. And this is something good. Something that should be encouraged. Instead of making it immediately after the adhan, give people five minutes at least for that time to pray the two before Maghrib. This would be something that is definitely encouraged. However, some people say that one shouldn't give anybody time. Based on a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed Maghrib as soon as it became compulsory. He prayed Maghrib as soon as it became, when it became compulsory, you would pray Maghrib. Meaning, after the sun has set, you would pray Maghrib. That's what the hadith says. So they took that hadith and said, Therefore, we just pray Maghrib. Fard. Don't leave any time, just pray Maghrib. But we also need to reconcile, take all evidences into account. And the reconciliation is simple. If you're praying Sunnah and then Fard, you are still praying immediately. You're not delaying the Salah. It's still, you know, you are, you are getting ready. It's, it's part of the Maghrib. It's just the two before. So there's no ta'arud here. There's no contradiction at all. When we say you're praying immediately, you're not delaying anything. So pray the two and then pray the Maghrib. Alhamdulillah, you still prayed immediately. There was no unnecessary delays. It's not like we were watching TV and said, okay, we're first going to watch this game finish. There's only three overs left. We're going to watch the last three overs of the game. There's only 10 minutes until halftime or 10 minutes until this rugby or football match is done. We're going to wait. Then we can say, hey, this is now not like, this is not right. You know, Maghrib, the waqt is short, the Prophet is to pray it immediately. You are now doing mukhalafa of the sunnah, you are opposing the sunnah. And you're giving preference to something dunyawi over your salah. That can become highly problematic. But to pray too before Maghrib and say, so we don't accept that opinion. We respect those who say it, but we say you should pray the two before and then continue with the three of the fard. Um... <coughs> There's another hadith that the author never mentioned, which is that between two adhans, between each two adhans, but what do they mean by this? Adhan and iqamah. But the two calls to prayer. There is always a salah. There's always a sunnah. Between the adhan and the sunnah, there's always a, a sunnah to be prayed. Understand? Not necessarily a ratibah, but a sunnah. So we know before fajr, that would be a ratibah. And the, the four before dhuhr would be ratibah. But two before Asr, two before Maghrib, and two before Isha is part of the Sunnah that you pray. But it's not considered of the Rawatib. Understand? But there is, it's, it is part of the Sunnah to pray that as well. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Any questions so far? Of the Rawatib. So the Tahiyatul Masjid will be separate to the Rawatib. Tahiyatul Masjid is regarding the Masjid. Meaning, whenever you enter the Masjid, it could be, be far from the waqt, it could be between the waqt, it could be any time. You enter the Masjid, 
The sunnah is, hadith is, do not sit down until you have prayed your two rak'at. Do not sit down until you have prayed your two rak'at. So that many scholars say is fard, because the hadith is, don't sit. So it's a prohibition. It's a, it's a nahi, you understand? He is prohibiting us, do not sit, it's forbidden, unless you prayed your two. So many scholars say it's fard, and other ulama say it's sunnah. Right? We understand the difference of opinion. But the point is, that's something separate to the rawatib. However, if you enter the masjid just before the fard salah, and now you need to pray tahiyatun masjid, and you also want to pray the two before the salah, this is where you can combine your intention. So you make that two before the salah your tahiyatun masjid. There's nothing wrong with praying it on its own. You can pray this intention is tahiyatun masjid, and then you can pray two before the salah, no problem. However, there's also nothing wrong with this two before Fajr that I'm going to pray, or this two before Maghrib or Asr is my Tahiyatul Masjid. So the Tahiyatul Masjid does not have to be specifically that two raka'at, but you have to pray before you sit. So even if you enter and the Imam is already starting the Fard, you will join the Fard with the Niyah of the Fard, and this can also be your Tahiyatul Masjid. No problem. Understand? So you can combine your niyyah in that instance over there. Understand? Yes. What do you mean? Yes. So you can't have a dual intention. This is a fard for um, Maghrib and also the two sunnah before Maghrib. It's not going to work. That you see the tahiyatul masjid doesn't have to be that two raka'at. It has to be a prayer that, you are, that your intention is to greet the masjid and that you don't sit. So whether it's a fard or the sunnah, the point is, you haven't sat down and you are greeting the masjid within a salah. So it doesn't, whereas the other two is specific, two before maghrib, two before fajr and so forth, those you cannot, you know, combine them with anything else. Is the hadith clear in terms of, is uh, the hadith clear in terms of, Yes, yes, authentic hadith. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was on the mimbar, Jumu'ah. And this is also why certain scholars say it's a fard. It's another reason why they say it's a fard. In, the, in this khutbah, he's giving the khutbah and a man enters the masjid and he sits down. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stopped the khutbah and said to him, Have you prayed? Did you make the tahiyyah? Did you pray? She said, no. She said, stand up and pray. And the man stood up and he prayed the tahiyyah al-masjid and the Prophet continued with the, with the khutbah. So why do they say it's a fard? Because look at the importance he gave to tahiyyah al-masjid. He stopped the khutbah, which is fard. Listening to a khutbah is fard. Fard is not a sunnah to listen to the khutbah. It's fard to listen to the khutbah. Understand? But still, the tahiyyah al-masjid had to be prayed. Even though you're missing out on the fard, listening to the khutbah. Hence the scholar said, therefore it must also be fard. To equate between the two. Question is, if um, the khutbah is fard, so what happens if the person must out the khutbah due to laziness, getting to the masjid like purposefully? He's sinful. He's sinful. He's sinful. It's a great sin, definitely. I mean, if he skips Jumu'ah entirely, like he misses the Salah as well, that's a major sin. And if he misses three Jumu'ahs in a row, then he's, he's a stamp that's placed on his heart. 
يعني سيل سيل تو بي كات اوف يو نو لايك فروم خير اند فروم جودنس اند سو فورث ان اذر ايشو اون ذا تحت ذات جست كامز تو مايند از اف يو انت ذا مسجد فور جمعه سبيسيفيكلي ناو اند ذا امام از سوري ذا مؤذن از دوينج ذا اذان فور ذا خطبه سو وانس از ذا اذان ذا امام از كان ستاند اب اند جيف ذا خطبه رايت سو يو انت وات شو دو وات دو وي دو Usually when the adhan is on, we stand. Again, why do we stand? What's the sunnah behind standing? Because of the tahitul masjid. Because we don't want to sit. Because we haven't prayed tahitul masjid. So this is why we stand. And wait until the muaddin is done. We, then we pray and then we sit. Right? But if you've prayed and then you go out and you come back in quickly and the, you, the muaddin is giving the adhan, can you sit? You sit. Because there's no reason for you not to sit. But what happens in Jumu'ah? So you come in and the Mu'adhin starts, or he's busy with the Adhan, right? Immediately after the Adhan, the Imam's about, he's going to stand up and give the Khutbah. So what do we do? You haven't made the Hidul Masjid. Right? But, okay, so what, what I'm saying is, what are you going to do immediately? The Mu'adhin is giving the Adhan. You've entered the Masjid. What do we do? So you stand, wait for the Adhan to finish, then you pray the Tahitul Masjid. Is that so okay to make Salah? Even if he makes the Adhan, you can stop with your Salah. Why? I'm asking you, is it wrong? I'm asking you why you want to do that. Because of the, the importance of, of, of immediately when you come into the masjid to make salah. But it's also to listen to the adhan. But you see, that's the other thing. The adhan is going, you're supposed to stop and do everything. So when we enter and the adhan's on, ideally what you want to do is you stop and you wait and you repeat after the muadhan, you get that reward as well. Mm. Right? And you're not... Missing out on the other and you still get to pray your tahitul masjid? No problem. That, that is in a normal circumstance for any other waqt. But for Jumu'ah, it's different. Why is it different? Because the listening to the khutbah takes preference over listening to the adhan. So if you come in and the adhan starting or is on, pray the sunnah. For Jumu'ah. Pray the sunnah. So that you get, you listen to more of the khutbah than, you know, listening to more of the adhan. Um, طيب, we move on to the next hadith. She is narrated from Aisha, radiallahu anha, umul mu'mineen. She said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخفف الركعتين اللتين قبل صلاة الصبح حتى إني أقول أقرأ بأم الكتاب متفق عليه. Aisha narration, she said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to يخفف ركعتين. He used to pray the two rakaat before fajr or subh very quickly or lightly. Light. He used the word lightly, but basically he used the word quickly, very quickly. And until she used to say, did he recite the mother of the book or not? Did he recite يعني the فاتحة? Did he even recite the فاتحة? Because that is how quickly he, she felt he recited the, he made the two rakaat of fajr before fajr. Right? Um, 
Some of the benefits of this hadith is number one that the tour before Fajr should be very short. That's the sunnah. It's better than making it long. We, I think we mentioned this last week. It's better than making it lengthy because the Prophet made it short. And his sunnah is better than any other person's opinion. Secondly, another benefit bin Uthaymin extracts from this hadith is it's permissible at times to recite the Quran fast, quickly. So usually the sunnah of the Prophet was that you recite ayah ayah. One verse, stop. One verse, stop. Slowly. Tartil. Right? Murattal. Warattil al-Qur'ana tartila, as the Qur'an says. So he would recite, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Like that. Ayah, ayah. This was his recitation. But in this hadith, she says, he made it so short, that she even would say, did he even recite the Fatiha or not? Which means it was different to the way he usually recited. Even though it's a softer, she couldn't hear what he necessarily was reading. But that's how she felt. So Ibn Uthaymi says, based on this, this indicates that he must have recited fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. This was his ad. This was now the, the sunnah now. And we're also going to see, when we mentioned this before, that part of the sunnah of Fajr is that we recite قُلْ يَا إِوَ الْكَافِرُونَ in the first rak'ah and قُلْ وَاللَّهُ أَحَدٍ in the second. So which means he recited the Fatiha and that surah and yet she felt like he didn't even recite the Fatiha according to his normal pace. According to his normal pace. Which means he must have recited a little bit quicker or quite quicker, right? But obviously this is permissible on condition that you don't skip ayat or verses and change anything of the Qur'an. You have to maintain your, your tajweed and your, your makharij and your pronunciation and so forth. That's the condition. If a person recites fast and he can't do that, then we say to him, recite slowly. Understand? But if a person is fluent and they are able to recite a little bit fast, then at times it's permissible. Especially for a student of the Qur'an doing revision and so forth. He would recite faster. Otherwise, it's going to take him way too long, you know, if he's going to recite ayah, ayah. Understand? But in salah especially, this is how it's supposed to be done. If it's just leisure reciting, you know, when you're just relaxing and reciting with the Quran, that's how you should recite. Ayah, 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 ayah. That's the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The next hadith is from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu Anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Qara'a fi raka'atay al-fajr Qulaya al-kafiru Wa qul wallahu ahad Rawahu muslim Hadith in sahih muslim And this is the hadith that you mentioned Abu Hurairah says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Used to decide in the two raka'at before fajr Qulaya ayyuhal kafirun And Qul huwa allahu ahad So the first raka'a would be Alhamdulillah plus Qulaya ayyuhal kafirun And the second raka'a The fatiha plus Qul huwa allahu ahad a very brief uh, summary or translation of the surah kafirun say oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa say to who oh disbelievers ya kafirun so this is addressing who the kuffar oh disbelievers la a'budu ma ta'budun what does this mean la a'budu i do not worship that which you worship wala antum 
And nor do you worship that which I worship. And I do not worship what you worship. And you do not worship what I worship. And to you is your religion. And unto me is my religion. Different. You are upon a way and we are upon a way. Our worship is not the same. What you worship is different to what I worship. And the way that you worship is different to the way that I worship. This was the emphasis that's done in the surah. So if you take note of the surah, you will see the ayat are very similar in terms of its meaning. It's like repetition. Understand? So some ulama, now first and foremost, the Quran does this at times. Repetition of certain ayat. Surah Ar-Rahman. Over and over. 33 times I think it is. Surah Al-Mursalat Over and over Understand? But each ayah has its hikmah This is what the scholars have said Each ayah has its hikmah When there is repetition It's not for no reason Or just filling up the gaps No, there is hikmah in it There is a reason behind the repetition Understand? It has to be So what is the reason behind the repetition? Some of the scholars said, well, it's tawkid, meaning it's for emphasis, to drive the point home. Although Ibn Uthaymi says that's a weak interpretation in this case. And the others, they said, the first two sentences was about what was worshipped. Yani that which you worship is different to what I worship. Oh, and what I worship is different to what you worship. Referring to what is being worshipped. So we worship Allah and you worship something else. And you worship your idols and we worship Allah. It's different. And the other two ayat are, the other two ayat refer to the methodology of worship. So the way that you worship is different to the way that I worship. And the way that I worship is different to the way that you worship. So there's a slight difference now. It's not the same thing being said twice. There's a difference in what is being meant over here. Right? Another opinion states, the first two refers to um, the current condition. And the second two refers to the future. So the first two refers to actually the past and the second two refers to the future. So when he says, O oh, disbelievers, I do not worship what you worship. This refers to the past. I never worshipped what you worshipped. And you never worshipped what I worshipped. And then the second two refers to the future. And I will not worship what you worship, nor will you worship what I worship. Difference. And to you is your religion, and to me is my religion. This is how the scholars differed, and there are other opinions as well on this issue. Allah Azza wa Jal ultimately knows best. The surah definitely is a surah that revolves around Tawheed. Right? It's, a, it's an emphasis on Tawheed. That we are different to the mushrikeen. And the mushrikeen have nothing to do with us. In terms of what we worship and the way that we worship. There is a big distinction that's, that's placed between us and them. Understand? The kuffar and the mushrikeen, we are separate from them. The way that we worship Allah, this tawheed. Who we worship is Allah Azza wa Jal alone. As opposed to the kuffar and the mushrikeen. So it's an eye that revolves around, around tawheed. لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ To you is your religion and to me is mine. 
Let's not mix the two. Right? Islam is not a religion of wahdatul adyan. As some people have believed. Muslim people believe this. We're all the same. We all just worship Allah with a different name. But we're all the same. All the religions are the same. There's few finer details, the differences here and there. But ultimately, all the religions are one. A'udhu billah. Inna deena indallahi al-Islam. Indeed, the only religion with Allah is Islam. The true religion with Allah is Islam. Allah also says, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِ غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَا يُقْبَلَ مِنْ Whomsoever desires a religion other than Islam, it will never be accepted from him. And here Allah says, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ Say to them, to you, you is your religion, and to me is mine. There is a, there's a difference here. We're proud of our deen. We stand for our deen. This is our everything. You have your religion you want to follow, but this is us. We are not like you, you're not like us. There's a massive distinction being made in the surah. Islam is not about one religion for all, meaning that all religions are one. No. Islam is different. Islam is special. And this is, this is what we stand for. It's Tawheedullah Azza wa Jal. Another point to mention is, Some people use this out of context. So, for example, we have a difference of opinion. Right? People have a difference of opinion. He says the maulid is good. He says the maulid is bad. Right? So my brother comes and says, Ya akhi, lakum dinukum waliyadin. No problem. Right? No problem. You have your religion. I have my religion. And they use this verse. As if to say, it's, it's okay. You have your view. I have my view. This is what they're trying to say. So lakum dinukum waliyadin. But this ayah doesn't mean that. Look at the context of the ayah. What is the context of the ayah? Look at the whole surah to, to understand the context. Who is being addressed? قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ And then Allah mentions, Say to them, O disbelievers, This is what you worship, This is what we worship, etc. Then the ayah comes, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ So the Muslim shouldn't tell another Muslim, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ It's okay. That ayah say it's not okay. You are separating yourself from them, saying, look here, go with your kufr and your shirk. This is our religion, you have to go. This is not an ayah, lakum dinukum aliyadin, let's all bring it in, you know, it's okay, we're all good, we're all together, lakum dinukum aliyadin. That is a misrepresentation and a misinterpretation of the ayah. The ayah doesn't mean that. Understand? The ayah is separating each other. Your, your kufr and your shirk is there, and we are here upon tawheed and iman. Whereas, to say between Muslimin, your opinion and my opinion, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ That's not using the ayah correctly. Out of its context, out of what it actually means. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. The second surah is of course, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ One of the greatest surahs in the Qur'an. تَعْدِلُ ثُلُثُ الْقُرْآنِ As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, it's equal to a third of the Qur'an. It's equal to one third of the Qur'an. How so? The Qur'an is... Split up into three categories. The Quran has three categories to it. One category that deals with ahkam, rulings. There are ayat that speaks about the various rulings of the Sharia. Surah Talaq, for example, read through there. You read about Talaq, the rulings on Talaq. You read about the rulings on inheritance, the rulings on Salah, the rulings on Zakah, the rulings on various things, Hajj, fasting, Ramadan, so forth. And other things come up throughout the Quran. There are ayat of 
ahkam that discuss the various laws and rulings within the Sharia. That's one category of the Quran. Certain verses speak about ahkam. Other verses speak about Allah Azza wa Jal and His actions. That's a category that speaks about Allah and His actions. That's one category. So all of the names and attributes of Allah is under this category. Understand? And the third category is that which speaks about either the, the future or the past. Allah speaks about the past, what happened with the Anbiya, what happened in this story, in that story, with this incident in the people of the cave, and this and that. And also also speaks about the future. What's going to happen in the Akhirah, Jannah, Jahannam, and so forth. Qiyamah, he mentions the future. That's a category of the Quran. Surah Ikhlas is one third of these categories. The whole surah is all about the second category, which is about Allah and his actions. It only speaks about Allah Azza wa And so from this angle, it is equal to Thuluthul Quran. It's equal to one third of the Quran. Understand? And Allah knows best. Um, Qul huwa Allahu ahad, say Allah is one. Meaning, he's one, he's got no partner. And he's unique. And he's perfect by himself. Allahu samad. What does samad mean? Huh? Konya? There's none unto Allah. What does that mean? How do you understand the surah Allahu Samad? One of his names is As-Samad. We spoke about this name. That's coming up. That's next. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He neither begets nor was he begotten. Allahu Samad means As-Samad. It's one of the names of Allah, which means the independent master. Self-sufficient, not in need of anything. At the same time, everything is in need of him. That's the most basic tafsir of As-Samad. He is the independent master that is not in need of anything. Whilst everything is in need of him. That's the, 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 the most basic tafsir of As-Samad. And it's an authentic, the correct tafsir of um, As-Samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad, he does not beget. Right, meaning, he has no offspring. This is not befitting for Allah. This is a refutation on three groups. The mushrikeen, who said that the malaika are the daughters of Allah. But the mushrikeen used to say, the malaika, they are the daughters of Allah. And the Yahud used to say, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ عُزَيْرٌ إِبْنُ اللَّهِ That Uzair is the son of Allah. وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ الْمَسِيحُ إِبْنُ اللَّهِ And the Masih, the, the Nasara used to say, that the Masih is the son of Allah. All three of these groups are refuted by this ayah where Allah says, Lam yalid. He does not beget. No children, no offspring. And this is not befitting for Allah Azza wa Jal that He has. Because He's far and above and beyond that. They said, they claim that Allah had a son. Allah then says, Subhana. Glorified is He over that. He's Al Ghani. He's not in need of that. He's self-sufficient. وَلَمْ يُولَدْ And nor does he, he does not beget, nor was he begotten, meaning he was not given birth to. He was not born. 
So now the Sheikh says he doesn't he knows of no group that says Allah was given birth to. None of the groups went to that extent and said so and so gave birth to Allah or Allah was born and so forth. However, Allah makes this point by uh, by striking a comparison. He gives the opposite. He does not beget nor was he begotten. To to cover both sides, to make it very clear. He does not beget nor was he begotten either. To emphasize the fact that he is truly al-Samad, al-Ahad, the one and only, the unique, the master, is not in need of anything. He doesn't have a start nor does he have an end. Al-Awwalu wal-Akhiru. These are his names. The first and the last. He's got no beginning, he's got no end. This is something else. It's not like what our minds can usually comprehend. Everything we know has a start. And everything we know has a finish. Bidaya and Nihaya, start and a finish. But not Allah Azza wa Jal. He's different. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. Meaning? You must know the meaning. He's supposed to know kulluhu Allah ahad. There's none unto him. Fair enough, yes. There's no equal unto him. Kufu means is no part, no equal, no equivalent. The word kufu means no equivalent. Wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. And unto him there is no equivalent. Not a single thing can be compared to Allah. This is similar to the ayah, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِي شَيْءٍ Similar. There's no example unto him. هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةٍ Do you know any example like him? Anything partner unto him? Anything similar unto him? وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا There is nothing, nothing equal unto him or similar um, to him. Because he's perfect. In every way, in his names, in his attributes, in his actions, all attributes and names of beauty and perfection. So he has no um, equal. The Sheikh also makes an, impo- makes an important point and he says that some people are afflicted with waswasa. So the, the, the shaitan comes to them and says to them, who created so and so, like this plant? And who created the trees? And who created the ocean? Allah, Allah, Allah. Until the shaitan says, and who created Allah? Who created Allah? Because this is how our, our brains and our minds work. Start, finish, we all. But who created Allah? This is what the shaitan will do. This is waswasa. At this point, فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ And stop, he says. Seek refuge in Allah. Say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ And block these thoughts out. Stop the thoughts and block it out. Because this is now going beyond the bounds. And this can obviously lead a person to the disbelief Wallahu musta'an The Sheikh then says If a person forgets to recite Qul ya iwal kafirun In the first rak'ah Should he recite Should he recite Qul huwa Allahu ahad in the second So you're making the sunnah If you didn't recite Qul ya iwal kafirun Should you recite Qul huwa Allahu ahad No problem Right no problem Inshallah No طيب the next hadith is from Aisha رضي الله عنها she said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا صلى ركعتي الفجر اضطجع على شقه الأيمن رواه البخاري she says when the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prayed the two rakat of fajr we mean the sunnah right he then would lay down on his right side he would lay down on his right hand side from Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه he said that رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم said 
if one of you prays two rak'at before salat subh he then should lay down on his right side falyaltaji' ala jambihi al-ayman rawahu ahmad wa abu dawud wa tirmidhi wa sahahu so this hadith proves that the prophet said and he also used to do what he used to lay down on his right hand side after praying fajr meaning go sleep like take a nap so he prays two sunnas of fajr and then he would lay down and, and take a small light nap. This was the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Before the fard. Before the fard. So here the scholars differed again. Is this now a sunnah or not? What are we supposed to do? You pray the two? Must you lie down or not? So the first opinion says, the Prophet ﷺ did it. Hence, <coughs> it's a sunnah. Hence, you should do it. Right? Pray the two, lay down. The second opinion says that the Prophet ﷺ, what do we know about him? What does Allah say in the Quran? Inna rabbaka ya'lamu annaka taqumu adla min thulutha layli wa nisfahu wa thulutha wa taifatu min adhina ma'ak. That he used to stand the night in prayer. For a third of the night, or half of the night. This was what he did every single night. So, by the time Fajr comes, he's tired. So what does he do? He Adhan goes, he prays to Rakat, and he lays down. And he lays down. Until it comes for the Fard, they wake him up and say, Ya Rasulullah, it's time for Salah. He gets up, and he goes to pray the Fard. Understand? So they say, and this is the view of Ibn Taymiyyah, whomsoever does this, Whomsoever does this, he prays the night, third of the night, half of the night, not two minutes, not five minutes, not twenty minutes, half of the night. How do you calculate half of the night? From Maghrib to Fajr and you split it in half or into a third. That's how long he prayed. So if Maghrib was at seven and Fajr is at six, calculate that hours is how much? Eleven hours into half is five and a half hours. That's how long he prayed. During the night. Or into three. That's how many hours he stood in Qiyamul Layl. Every single night. That's the way of this was the Prophet ﷺ. And he stood until his ankles became swollen. Aisha says, Ya Rasulullah, your future sins, your past sins are forgiven. Why do you do this? He said, Afala akuna abdan shakura. Should I then not be a grateful slave? And he used to stand. This is why he laid down. This is what Ibn Taymiyyah says. And he says, this is what... If somebody does this as well, it meaning he prays for a long time. Let's say you don't pray off the night, but you pray for long. You pray for some time. By Fajr comes, you're tired. So what do you do? Pray the two and you relax, and then you pray the fard. It's a sunnah for him to do that. Not the person who sleeps the whole night, or the person who prays for a few minutes. Understand? That's the second opinion. A third opinion says, Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, he said, it's fard to lay down. He doesn't say that. He says, بَلْ شَرْتٌ مِّنْ شُرُوطِ He says, rather it's a condition from the conditions of the salah. If he doesn't lay down, he salah is batil. Ibn Hazm. If he doesn't lay down after the two, then your fard salah is batil. It's not accepted. Why does he say this? Ibn Hazm was false of the Dahiriyyah, the literalist madhab, 
everything was literal to the T. We spoke about this a few times over the fiqh classes. For example, um, the Prophet said, don't urinate in water. You know, that's standing still, for example. Because you contaminate the water. So Ibn Hajjad, they said, that's haram. But you can defecate in the water. Because the Prophet didn't say you can't. He only said, don't urinate. So, but you can defecate. That's, this is the, the fiqh that they have. It's a very strange. At times it's correct. At times they come to some strange opinions. Strange opinions. Right? And this is based on a hadith that Ibn Taymiyyah says is munkar, it's not accepted. And this view is obviously not accepted. Right? Um, so the two views that we will rely on is either it's a sunnah for everybody. Or it's a sunnah, that's fine. Or it's a sunnah for only those who are in a similar situation to that of the Prophet and that seems to be the correct view, right? That seems to be the view that makes the most sense. That's the view that Ibn Uthaymin also favors, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, right? This is also part of giving your nafs your haq, giving your, your body its haq. After the whole night standing and so forth, you take a small nap and then you pray fajr and you're refreshed. So you're giving your body its haq and also the salah its haq. This is the wisdom in this, um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The other point is this happened in the house of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He used to pray at home, the, the sunnah, then lay down, and then right next to his house was the masjid. So for the time of salah, they would just say, Ya Rasulullah Salah, and he would get up. No problem. So a person who fears that he's going to oversleep, we say to him, don't lay down. Rather stand up. Make sure, because you don't want to miss the fard. Right? Um... So it's obviously very important that you, you, you know the situation as well. That you know the situation as well. Um, now this happened in the house as we said. Would you do this in the masjid? Wallahu a'lam. Again, if that's your, that's your condition that you needed to sleep, sleep. If not, there's no need. Right? What about the person who stays up the whole night? And then the fajr comes, and then he decides, well, now, based on that sunnah, I'm also going to now lay down. Huh? It's not applicable. It's not applicable. That's the reality. And Ibn Uthaymin says, even, even if he does do that, will that refresh him or not? That nap's going to knock him out. He's going to sleep through fajr. So the sheikh discusses that, and he says, it's not going to refresh him. So in that case, this only applies to this person in this case, like the, that of the Prophet If you pray most, most of the night, or a large portion of the night, and obviously it depends on the situation. You see, our masajid maybe only give you five minutes, ten minutes. So what are you going to sleep? You know, if it gives you half an hour, 25 minutes, 20 minutes, then you could still say, look, 20 minute nap makes sense. 15 minute nap makes sense. But five minutes, ten minutes... 10 minutes, maybe even possible, fine. But for a few, 2-3 minutes, Allah A'lam, let's say it's even then. But only if he's in the situation, we would then recommend it. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. I'll leave this hadith for next week, inshaAllah. We'll stop here. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.